Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that everything that we receive, we receive as a gift from your hands, even the ability to understand and receive your word in faith. We do pray this morning as we come to your scriptures that you would send your spirit and give us the ability to understand and know Christ better, that we would serve him faithfully. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37, and you'll find that on page 843 of the Pew Bible, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Uh, We have just seen that Jesus tells his disciples and the scribes and Pharisees that what defiles a person is not something that comes from the outside but rather something that comes from the inside, the human heart. And now he turns away from the heat of confrontation and withdraws into Gentile territories. And that's what we find here with Jesus's account uh, or episode here with a Syrophoenician woman and a deaf man. Let's read to read this passage. Just read it for us. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman uh, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread And throw it to the dogs. She answered him. Yes Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table. Eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her. For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home. And found the child lying in bed. And the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre. And went through Sidon to the sea of Galilee. In the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You remember the story of Gideon and Gideon's fleece that he put out? Gideon was really a man of no account. He was not from nobility. He was from a small clan of the tribe of Manasseh. He was a man of no importance. And he recognized that to the Lord when the Lord called upon Gideon to deliver God's people from those who would oppress him, these foreign forces, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And Gideon was a man who recognized his own help. And he said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not sure that I can do this. I'm not the man for you. And so he asked for a sign. He put out a fleece, as we often say. And he asked that 
The fleece would be wet with dew in the morning and the dry ground, and it was. And then the next day, he asked that the ground would be wet and the fleece be dry, and it was. And God sustained him in his helplessness. And he gave him strength and courage. But then Gideon was asked to do something even more brave and courageous. There were 32,000 men gathered together from Israel, ready to go to war against the Midianites and the Amalekites. And God said to him, now send about half of those men home. There were roughly 10. God said, now we're going to sort out a few out of this 10,000. And by the end of the day, Gideon had 300 men in his arsenal. And he recognized and had this sense of his own helplessness to bring about anything that God wanted him to do. It was the strength of the Lord. And what was required of Gideon more than anything else, it wasn't his strength, it wasn't his power, it wasn't his nobility, it was his faith. After all, the writer of Hebrews tells us in the, in the great hall of faith of chapter 11 that we don't have time to speak of Gideon and Samson and all the others who trusted in the Lord. The thing that was required of Gideon most was faith. I think we all have a, a similar sense of our own helplessness at times in life. We go through various illnesses, various trials of many kinds. There are spiritual burdens that we face. Some of us face these besetting sins, these same sins that continually plague us. And we wonder, when am I going to keep my mouth closed? When am I going to stop looking at that? When is my pride going to be dealt with? And there are spiritual burdens and struggles. And we feel that sense of helplessness in those times. For some of us, it's decision making. Where am I going to go from here? I don't have any answers. I feel as though I'm, I'm at the end of my rope and there aren't many options left. And we all, like Gideon, have that same sense of helplessness. Our jobs, parenting, relationships that seem to be strained and there seems to be no way out of it. And it's the brokenness of this life that reveals to us our own inability to alleviate our suffering and our struggling. The people in these particular episodes understood their own helplessness as well. This, this woman who has a demon-possessed daughter this man who is deaf and mute, and they come to Jesus begging, literally begging. We're told that here. This woman, a Gentile, she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. And these men who bring this deaf mute to Jesus, we're told they begged him to lay his hands upon him. And here's what they find. When they come to Jesus in faith, God rewards faith. God rewards faith. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That God rewards faith? Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews tells us? That if we would come to God, we must draw near to Him and believe not only that He exists, but that He rewards those who seek Him. 
God rewards those who seek Him. He rewards faith. And yet at times I think we struggle to believe that. Some of you who are younger know what it's like to look at life and you wonder, can I really believe what God says? If I follow Him here, will there really be blessing for me? Sometimes there are difficult days that come to us. Sometimes days that call upon us to obey in ways that are costly. And we really wonder, will God reward my faith? Will He be with me? Will this work out for good as He promises? Now, I think there are two ways that we struggle here with this fact that God rewards faith. One is this. Sometimes we think, well, God only rewards certain people's faith. Only some does He reward, but maybe not me. You remember from last week as we were talking about the human heart and that uncleanness comes from within the human heart. And Jesus spoke of these things. For within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. These are all within you and within me. And sometimes we wonder, well, if I'm so impure, would God reward my faith? Here's the first thing I want us to see this morning. We ask the question, whose faith does he reward? God rewards the faith of everyone. Everyone who trusts in him. Consider this woman, this Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus. Jesus has withdrawn to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's a Gentile area. In particular, it's uh, an area that is well known to be the historic enemies of the people of God. And not only that, one that is filled with pagan worship and idolatry. It's a very dark land. It's a place of great sin, of great corruption, of great opposition to God. Excuse me, to God and to his people. And here's this woman who comes to Jesus. We're told, verse 25, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She had three strikes against her. She was a woman, first of all, in that culture. Second of all, she was a Gentile, not part of the people of God, considered to be unclean. And she was a Syrophoenician, the worst of the worst as far as the Jews were concerned. Her life was really a a resume of, of sin, of corruption, of opposition to God. And yet she comes to Jesus with this request. The woman begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And what's most interesting here is Jesus's response. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Now, what's Jesus saying here? We're not accustomed to Jesus speaking that way. Would he call us dogs? There's a couple of options here. One is that Jesus is simply recognizing and verbalizing the way in which the Jews looked upon the Gentiles. That they were like wild dogs, scavenging beasts, 
Beasts that would eat anything and therefore were unclean and filthy and dirty. Maybe that's what he's recognizing. There's a distinction between you and my people. And you are not like my people. And therefore you don't deserve what I have. The second option is this. That Jesus is simply using a parable. And what he's saying here is that the the Messiah has come to the Jews first. Because after all, God's covenant promises were given to the Jews. That they are to receive the gospel message and the Messiah first. And so dog here is not meant to represent the scavenging wild and dirty beast. But rather a domesticated animal, a, a house pet. And so Jesus is simply recognizing the priority of the gospel message. That just as children were to be fed before the dog, the Jews were to receive the message before the Gentiles. Not that the dogs would not be fed within the family, but rather the priority goes to the Jews. Now, it doesn't really matter which way we understand it. What's important is this. The quick-witted response of this woman. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. If it was an insult, she didn't have time. Daughter was laying in a bed being ravaged by this demonic force, this evil spirit in her. She did not have time for Jesus' insult. She would press through here and say, yes, Lord. But even the dogs receive the crumbs from the table that the children are fed at. Her deep need of Jesus and her conviction literally led her to press through and drive through any test, any barrier that Jesus would put up. And I what Jesus is doing here, he's testing this woman. What do you really want? What do you expect of me? What's your faith really like? And she pre- proves to be one who is filled with genuine faith. She's done actually what the scribes, what the Pharisees have not done, even what the disciples have not done up to this point. To lay all of her trust in Jesus. And guess what? Her faith was rewarded. He said to her, for this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Here's an unworthy woman in herself. And yet it's her faith in Jesus that's rewarded. In high school, I was um, invited to a particular Christian ministry and I went and eventually went to a camp out in Colorado for a week. And there I became a Christian. I came to know the Lord Jesus. And about a year later, as I continued with this particular ministry, there was this younger high school student who came in He was from a poor family. He was of no account. He wasn't very smart. He wasn't very articulate. He dressed poorly. He rarely took a shower. And I can remember his nickname was Whitey because he had the whitest teeth anyone had ever seen. And our youth group leader asked him one day, now Whitey, why are you hanging around here? 
He said, I know I'm not very smart and I ain't good looking, but I know that Jesus loves me. It was his faith that was rewarded. It wasn't who he was. The same is true of you and me. Everyone is rewarded because of their faith and not because of who they are. Jesus tested this faith's woman, this woman's faith, and she pressed through. It's not a matter of who your family is. It's not a matter of what church you grew up in. It's not a matter of how righteous you think you are. It's a matter of how gracious the Lord Jesus is to reward those who come to him in trust. What way do you need to press through to trust Jesus just like this woman? We all in particular ways in our life need to press through. Maybe we need to believe that his affirmation is all that we need. Maybe we need to believe that peace in our families is better than winning an argument. Maybe we need to believe that following Jesus is far better than following our, our friends into sin. But my friends, whatever it is, in what ways do we need to press through and come to Jesus in faith and take him at his word? He promises that everyone who comes to me, everyone who believes in me, I will reward. But I said there was a second way we struggle with the fact that God rewards faith. I think sometimes we wonder, is the reward really worth it? This woman and this man who come to Jesus, they're both sort of symbolic of the different kinds of sufferings that we endure in life and our inability to do anything about it. But do you notice what this woman is satisfied with? The crumbs. My friends, the crumbs that Jesus gives to his people, even the crumbs are far better than anything that this world has for us. And if you're going to press through and trust Jesus and lay hold of him in faith, then you must believe that. That the least of what Jesus can give is far greater than anything that the world can give. And if that's our trust, he says, I will reward everyone who trusts in me. And so Jesus rewards everyone who comes to him. Secondly, God rewards faith because he delights to show mercy to the humble. To be sure, faith is not a merit. It's not something that obligates God to do anything for us. Just because we believe in Jesus, God is under no obligation to bless us. But he does so because he promises and because he is good. I think here we see a couple of things about the way in which he delights to show mercy. One he delights to encourage the weak. We look here at the account of this deaf man, deaf man who comes to Jesus. And in verse 33, we're told that Jesus takes him aside from the crowd privately. Now, why does he do that? Likely because what he's about to do with this man, putting his fingers in his ears and spitting on his tongue, he doesn't want the crowds to think that maybe with the right incantation and, and the right actions, well, we can do the same thing. Or maybe it's just because of these things that Jesus has power because he knows the right incantations. He doesn't want the crowd to 
misunderstand. But he takes this man aside and he, he puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touches his tongue. And he looked up to heaven and sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. It's as if what he's done is he's put his fingers in this man's ears and pulled them out to say, now I'm going to open up your ears. And he's spit upon his tongue as if to say what comes from my mouth will loosen your tongue so that you will be able to speak. And he looks up to heaven as if to say, my power is heavenly power. It's not an earthly power. You see what this, what Jesus is doing for this man? He's communicating in ways that this man can understand. A form of sign language. And Jesus in His mercy would do whatever it takes to communicate His grace for those of you and those like me who are weak and frail. Just like Jesus does with this man, He communicates to us in ways that we can understand. John Calvin, the great theologian, said God's Word is like baby talk so that you and I can understand the great mind of God Sometimes we wonder, what, what is he trying to tell me? I don't understand. The, the events of my life are confusing. They don't make sense. I seem to be running out of options. I don't know what to do here. Why are these things happening to me the way in which they are happening to me? We don't always know what his purposes are. But the one thing that we can say is that he wants us to trust him. That he wants us to believe in him. When I was working as an RUF intern, I had to raise money for support. And I'm a terrible fundraiser. I was out of money. Uh, I was really uh, at the end of my bank account. And I can recall receiving a phone call from the head office, which I thought was going to be a phone call to say, I'm sorry, you're out of money. You're going to have to pack it up and go home. But it was actually a phone call that said, Somebody just sent in a check for $1,500 for you. And I asked, well, who was it? And I had no idea who that person was. Now, that was small potatoes. I look back now, and certainly my responsibilities have grown. My needs and uh, the things that I'm called on to provide for are greater now. But I still look back upon that particular day on times in which I wonder, what's the next step? How's God going to provide for me? Where am I going from here? I look back upon that little thing and I say, now that's what God did for me there. And I know He can see me through. You may think of all the little different things that God has done in your life. What is He doing? He's weaving together a tapestry of events in your life to show you over and over, though you are weak in your faith, look at that. Look where I have brought you. Look at all the things that I have delivered you from. And now trust me. Just a little bit more. Trust me. And so he delights to encourage the weak. I think he also delights to heal the brokenhearted. We're told here in verse 34. Looking up to heaven. He sighed. Jesus sighed. Now this isn't just. A tired man because he was tired at this point. Sighing because there's yet one more person to heal. I 
think what was was that Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, was feeling the weight of the fall of mankind and the weight of the cross by which He would purchase this man's freedom from His deafness and His muteness. And Jesus sighed. Because you see, it was the great love of Christ that would send Him to earth to bear our iniquities, to bear the weight of the cross, to bear the weight of all the fallenness of mankind. And Jesus, in this little sigh, it's as if He's saying, there is much to heal. And my friends, it's not our righteousness. It's not our goodness. It's not how great we look. But it's the great ocean of God's love. It is the thing that would move forward into this world to bring blessing and to reward those who come to Jesus in faith. And so Jesus rewards everyone. He rewards us out of His great love and mercy. But lastly, I think He rewards us by releasing us from bondage. In some way, this little girl who is possessed by this demon has been opened up to demon possession. Maybe it's the pagan worship of her family. I don't know. But now she's in bondage. And this man, he was in bondage to being deaf and unable to communicate with those around him, unable to communicate with his family and with his friends. But both conditions kept them from fulfilling the glorious and the noble calling that God had placed upon their lives and upon the lives of everyone who has been made in His image. And so you see here, by their bondage, either to an evil spirit or to their physical ailments, they're no longer able to carry out the noble purpose for which God has made them. And I think you and I sense that at times as well. Young people today very much want their lives to count for something. They want to be able to look back at the end of their life and say, well, I've done more than punch a clock for the last 40 years. I've done more than run the rat race. And so for many of them, they pursue working for nonprofit organizations where they can go out into the world and do something great. And it's for that reason that nonprofit organizations have more people enlisted in their causes than ever before. They want their lives to count for something. Others just want to escape the frustration and the sadness of their physical ailments. Others want to make themselves more beautiful so that they feel noble. Some wish they had greater gifts and abilities and talents. You look at your brother and sister. You look at your friends and you say, I wish that I had what they have. Why can't I be given those particular gifts and talents? Let's say most of us would also wish that our spiritual lives displayed a a greater sense of nobility and glory than what they do. We're often entangled in sin, laziness, spiritually speaking, apathy towards God, 
Our praise of God is so feeble. Our, our service of Him is often so poor. And all of these things are a result of, of being fallen creatures and living in a fallen world. No longer able to re- reflect the glory of God in the ways in which we were originally made to. And there's only one person who can release us from that bondage. And it is the Lord Jesus. That's what we see here. It's what Christ does with this particular man. He unstops his ears so that now he can hear the glory of the gospel. He loosens his tongue so that now he can sing praises to God. And he frees him from his bondage so that now he can go serve God in noble purposes. So that this man could say with everybody else, He, Jesus, has done all things well. That would be what was on his lips as he walked away. You see what Jesus has done here for this little girl and for this deaf man? He has released them from what bondage, what bound them. So that now now they can go forward with a life of nobility, a a life of purpose, a life being restored to what God intended. One day He will bring us into glory so that you and I will be completely remade. As we already read in Ephesians chapter 4, in true knowledge and righteousness and holiness. In 1940, a German bomb struck the church of St. Mary's the Virgin in London, England. It destroyed the roof. The church, which had originally been built in the 12th century and then rebuilt in the 17th century after the Great Fire of London, it sat roofless for about 25 years. It was moss-grown. It was a, a, a terrible sight to the city. Until one day in the 1960s, someone had the idea to honor Sir Winston Churchill and his Iron Curtain speech that he delivered in Fulton, Missouri, of all places at Westminster College. And so what they did was they packed up that church, all 700 tons of it. 7,000 stones were cleaned off, and they were marked, and they were shipped to Fulton, Missouri, where that church was rebuilt and today stands as a memorial and there's a library there as well to honor Sir William or Winston Churchill. And in a way, that's a bit of a parable about our own lives as we come to trust in Jesus, that He's taking these ruins and He's cleaning us off and He's putting us in just the right place and we're being built into this glorious temple, this living temple to the Lord Jesus Christ one that He is pleased to inhabit. So that now our lives are once again made for a noble purpose and given glory. And we are able to reflect the glory of God. And that's Christ's work in all those who believe. God rewards faith by releasing us from our own current bondage in this fallen world so that we can serve God and no longer be frustrated by sin and our own failure so that we can worship Him and no longer be corrupted by our own thoughts and actions, so that all our labors begin to count for glorifying God and for building His kingdom. And I think that's exactly how this man felt. 
now my life is about saying to everybody, He has done all things well. You may have seen the opening ceremonies of the Olympics Friday night. If you did, you saw the mechanical failure with the lighting of the torch. I had my own little uh, failure with uh, the torch, the Olympic torch as well. I can remember several years ago, uh, the torch came through Columbia, South Carolina of all places. On its way to its final destination, I believe, in Salt Lake City. And it uh, was run through the horseshoe of the University of South Carolina. It's the old historic part of campus. And I can remember Sally and I and the kids gathered together. We were with the crowd lining up along uh, the sidewalk there. And Sally gave me the instructions. Now you take the camera and get a picture of the torch just as it's coming into view. So here I am, I've got my camera ready, and here comes the torch. I'm just about to take the picture, and the woman in front of me jumps out in front of me, so all I got was her back. And I was, of course, upset, and Sally was disappointed. And there was nothing I could do to get it back. And I think we all have a sense of what it means to feel as though something has been taken away that we don't reflect the glory of God like we should, that sometimes there's a sense of shame in our own lives, that we don't display His goodness to the world like we ought to. And there's nothing in ourselves that we can do to get it back. There's only Christ. And what He says is, when you come to Me and trust Me, I will reward you. And I will make you into a noble creature again, able to reflect my glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your purposes. They're far greater than what we often realize. We think of the gospel so many times as uh, being weak and frail and anemic. Lord, oftentimes it's our own faith that's weak and frail and anemic. We ask that just like this woman and these men, we would beg of Jesus that that would be our faith. We would come to Him in greater ways, trusting in Him with the confidence that He rewards all those who seek Him. Lord, may that be our confidence so that we would go forth in the world seeking to glorify our Savior. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.